Welcome to the Tiwahanga Infrastructure for a Better Future podcast, a series where we talk to experts both from here and overseas about the infrastructure challenges we are facing. Kia ora folks, it's Ross Kirkland here, Chief Executive at Tiwahanga, the New Zealand Infrastructure Commission. And joining me today is Karina Commandant from Sapere, who's put together uh, a piece of research together with her team, commissioned by the Infrastructure Commission. And it really looks at this big issue of how do we meet our climate targets for energy and transport sectors when we have the efficiency troubles with our existing consenting system. Some of the findings are just really high level. The consenting system needs to deliver a 40% increase in consenting by 2050. And as you'll know from the 30-year infrastructure strategy, that relates to delivering all of the different things that, that form the infrastructure deficit. We know that consent times are increasing considerably, and the report finds that by 2028, we need to have implemented the reform, and that we need a 50% efficiency gain by then to achieve these net zero targets. The report also finds, interestingly, that if we don't get there, there's a $16 billion cost that New Zealand could face to buy these international emissions offsets. So welcome, Karina. We'd love to talk to you a little bit today to unpack this report and its findings. And thanks so much for joining me. Kick us off by just taking listeners through. What are the key findings of this research? In, this work looks at, at um, um, the trends in the consentic processes and what that may imply for the New Zero um, target. Well, we um, looked looking at the at historical trends in the system. We um, estimate that uh, the volume of consents that would need to go through the system would go up. Um, it, ha- it can have significant uh, impacts on the t- time that it might take for each individual project uh, to, to get a consenting permit. Um, well, some of the findings we've got um, looking at, you know, different assumptions on the resources that might be um, allocated to the system and the complexity that, that might grow. Uh, we we find that the um, uh, emissions reduction um, gap that would need to take place between today and 2050 can be somewhere in between 34%, you know, 11% and 34%, depending on. Um, how many resources or um, uh, complexity uh, reductions that can take place in the system. Um, That is is quite significant. Um, And um, at the upper level, it can cost us about $16 billion to meet, to cover that emissions gap if it is not achieved through um, the projects that uh, we think need to take place to decarbonize electricity and transport. Excellent. Well, um, perhaps to go back, to go forward, the Infrastructure Commission Uh, published a 30-year strategy for New Zealand's infrastructure last year. And as part of that work, we looked at this infrastructure deficit, this idea that New Zealand has underinvested for quite a number of decades consecutively now and accrued this backlog of transport, energy, housing, water, a whole lot of upgrades that need to take place to get us up to sort of benchmark standards. And so obviously, when we think about the planning system, and the role that it plays in enabling that. Uh, As a commission, we were really interested in understanding a bit more about what needed to happen and the reform of the Resource Management Act. But also when we thought about some of these government targets that were agreed for resource management reform, particularly this efficiency target was something that captivated us. Trying to understand and quantify, you know, just how much more efficient, how much faster does the system need to be to achieve success? And Sapiro uh, partnered with the commission actually on a first piece of work, this cost of consent study last year, 
which has actually been really widely read and cited, including by the minister in a number of his speeches, uh, Minister Parker. But as I recall, it sort of said, you know, we spend $1.3 billion consenting about $15 billion of annual infrastructure spend, and that that cost and time was growing really quickly. So this is not a story of a static system that's sort of trundling along. The idea here is actually since 2014-15, uh, the time it takes to consent projects has increased by 150%. So I guess maybe it's useful for listeners that, you know, that was the reason or the genesis behind commissioning the second piece of work was to say, so how much more efficient uh, does our new consenting system need to be? How much faster, how much less costly, and what what might that lead to in terms of meeting some of our other objectives? Um, so perhaps to hand back to you, Karina, just to talk us through the findings of this piece of work. Uh, so perhaps a little bit of background about exactly what it was we studied and what your key findings were. Um, yeah, so this report um, projects the demand on the consen consenting system in New Zealand, you know, um, based on the um, observed trends in the past. Um, and with a particular focus on um, in estimating um, the ability of the system to respond and deliver on the net zero target. Um, we, we took that challenge because it's something, you know, it's something tangible. We've got that as a legislated target. Um, and we know already that the resourcing system is, you know, is a pivotal part of enabling all those projects, the uh, decarbonizing projects um, to take place. So we wanted to see how ready the system is. We've done the exercise of understanding how big the size of the problem is, but are we actually up for the challenge? Um, so we focused on um, infrastructure, um, you know, uh, housing, energy, uh, transport, um, uh, water. Uh, when we looked at the emissions um, target, though, uh, specifically when we estimated um, it was energy and, and transport that were part of the model. Um, and that's because we looked at um, the source of emissions, not the use. So, in fact, by looking at just those two um, sectors, it actually covers everything in infrastructure. And we used quite a bit of, you mentioned the first report that Superior um, undertook. So we used that as an evidence of the past trends. Um, what happens if we let them continue? Um, we, we had an understanding of the consenting cost. Um, you know, I, I think we said 5% of, um, of um, a capital expense um, um, was uh, went to direct consenting costs. Um, and um, particularly looked at the evidence of um, impact on duration. Uh, how long does it take to consent a project? Um, and they vary. Um, quite a bit, depending, of course, the complexity of the project and also the sector. Um, but that was a key um, variable into our model because we wanted to see, um, you know, if, if trends continue, what would be the impact on the on, on a duration of getting a consent uh, issued and um, making assumptions about, no, no, there's a, a breaking point where investors will simply just not tolerate um, the, um, the delay in getting a permit, what would that happen in terms of the projects that need to be delivered um, to decarbonize energy and transport? The Infrastructure Commission published a piece of work last year which looked at New Zealand's abundance of renewable energy resources and Transpower, the New Zealand system operator for the electricity market, had published a piece of work called Whakamana Itamotahiko, which yep. set out this broad high-level goal 
of, or, or not a goal so much as a necessity to have around 500 megawatts of new generation annually to 2050. And we thought, well, that's that's a lot. That's basically a new Clyde Dam sized uh, renewable energy asset added to the grid every year for the next 30 years. So that frame or that lens of the amount of consenting that needed to happen to get us to net zero, that must have played quite significantly in this research as a baseline assumption. Yeah, so we used the um, Climate Change Commission's um, demonstration path scenario um, as our um, as our to-go um, projections on the future. Transpower's um, estimates are a bit more um, ambitious in terms of the scale of electrification, but we just wanted to be conservative. Um, and that definitely, so, but electrification, even, you know, in, in, in any model these days, it's significant. So um, between now and 2050 capacity, that would need, uh, new capacity would have to increase by 2.5, a multiple of 2.5 at, um, at the least. Um, but not only that, all the renewals that need to take place in the in the system. So 40% of um, renewable generation will need to be uh, reconsented in the next 10 years. And we know um, we've got evidence that in, in some cases, um, renewals are the same. It, um, it's the, it, it may require the same effort um, as applying for a new permit altogether. So it's it's a massive challenge. Um, I think our estimates, um, you know, they are already quite um, quite grounding. Um, I think we're saying what, what, what we're seeing is that for high complexity projects, for example, if trends continue, and we assume, you know, um, resources that come into the system just keep up with population growth. So the um, um, the relative size of the sector does not increase. Um, a project that is taken on average two years today will take 20, 12 years in twenty fifty to um, get cons uh, to get a consent issued. Wow. Um, no. So sorry. A two-year consent now, at, because of the rate of growth and the time, would take 12 years to consent in 2050. In 2050, if we, um, um, if there is no change wow. um, in the complexity of the, of the consenting system, and of course, if there are no additional resources added, um, so it's quite sobering. Um, that um, it's a, it's a sobering finding. Um, so we do need to think about. Um, you know, the criticality of improving um, and um, making the system a bit more efficient. Um, and what we found is, um, actually, that needs to take place in the next five years. If we have a reform, uh, it will take years um, for that to be implemented. So, you know, so some of burden that is in the system will continue, um, say, for the next five years. If we, if we let that happen in 2028, we would need to cut um, the time that it takes to issue a permit by 50% compared to today. So we'd need to revert to current um, to current um, um, duration that um, it takes to issue a permit. Um, and sure. that's basically the maximum that we can allow, essentially, is what, what we found. And it, and it sounds like that's a moderately optimistic scenario, given the discussion that reform is likely to take more in the order of 10 years to be fully operational. Yeah, so as we we found that pretty much the next five years um, is uh, you know is the is the the time that we've got to fix this. It it is too long to to get to near zero. Right. Yeah, cool. So, really big picture numbers for for listeners. So we need to achieve a fifty percent reduction in the time to consent by twenty twenty eight. And compared to, yep. Compared compared so, to today, and and if we don't, 
um, because you know consent or sorry reform takes say 10 years then that number is actually much larger it might be you know well in excess of 50 percent more efficient if we defer the start until say 2030. If we do not improve the efficiency in the system at the moment um, the projects that need to be implemented in order 2050 to reach net zero some of them will fall out so what that right. means is we will miss on the uh, we will not achieve the emissions um, reduction that uh, we are expecting to do domestically through domestic actions. Uh, we still have international commitments. Um, so if we are to um, meet those commitments, then that implies um, a, a liability uh, for the government. Um, so it's going to cost more to achieve those emissions reductions. Um, just to give some some numbers in you know in the in the worst case scenario um, without any in, any additional resources or reduced complexity in the system the emissions gap can be around 30 around 30 percent um, um, so we will not deliver 30 percent of the emissions reductions that we need um, and at the same time, at the other side, if we do, you know, pull our efforts together and fix this in the, in the next five years, and when we say fixes, um, allow for the duration of consent to be no more than it is at the moment, um, then we um, there's a, um, a minimum impact on our emissions reductions. Sure. So, so you're talking now to the scenarios that you looked at, and I see here in your report on. Uh, under this observed trend continues unabated to 2050 scenario, scenario one, uh, you're speaking there to saying essentially if the system remains as complex as it is and therefore the time taking continues to grow at that base growth rate, we're likely to miss something like 30% of our emissions reduction targets. Yeah, those are scenarios A and B. That's Those are the ones, um, the worst scenarios so where we assume that the volume increases by 40%, the volume of consent uh, um, in the system increases by 40% from today to 2050, and the number of um, resources that we add to the system, they don't keep up with that, um, but rather grow with the population growth, so the relative size of the system does not change. Uh, that's the worst case scenario. I don't think that's realistic, but that's kind of, um, it gives us, you know, the, the worst case. Um, sure. If we, um, the, the one in between, um, scenarios one and two, um, and the impact in that case is um, an emissions gap, reduction gap of between 11% um, and 15%. A lot of our work, I guess, thinking about, and, and I've seen climate change targets, the Transpower targets and others, has really looked at decarbonising the, the existing domestic economy. It hasn't sort of leaned into this idea that perhaps New Zealand could have a strategic point of difference because we have a highly renewable economy in developing, you know, green jobs, green manufacturing, energy intensive sectors that have um, traditionally been very polluting, but could be very efficient and, and renewably powered. So I guess the question for me, I'd be really interested in your view, if New Zealand did go down a, a track where industry policy evolved and said, well, actually, you know, we want to position New Zealand to leverage these renewable energy resources, and we ended up with a significantly higher requirement for new generation. What, what can we learn from this research? What does it say about the planning system and the type of efficiency gains we might need? Hey, I think New Zealand has got quite a, um, 
has the potential to have quite a good competitive advantage um, in you know, low-carbon industrial products. Um, and I think there's a lot of um, innovation um, happening in New Zealand. I've lived in a few countries abroad, and I think innovation um, is, is something that New Zealand should be proud of, um, and um, you know, we should capitalize on that. Um, and there's a lot of interest uh, happening. There, you know, there's there's interest in all offshore wind. There's a lot of interest in um, in decarbonizing um, methanol production. Um, uh, um, you know, the, the Taranaki region. I think it needs to be. You know, there's a um, there's the market interest, but there needs to be a, um, an enabling environment, and they need to go, go hand in hand. The, our, this research suggests uh, it won't be difficult getting the resource consent when you need it. Um, and in, and um, in an environment where it, you know these technologies are co are costly, um, and investors need um, certainty um, on their returns, I don't think these you know the the, the metrics that we have um, estimated um, do um, are, are, do any justice or are favorable for an investor who looks um, to um, put his money in a in industries that are yet to. Um, um, that I that are at the forefront of um, innovation. To be honest, we need to think strategically about this, uh, where New Zealand wants to be. I think um, that's something for the policymakers um, to decide, um, and when where needs to how it wants to position in in the in the global market. Uh, and if that's the case, then um, everything else needs to be supportive of it, and it needs to be a joined up thinking in the you know between the policymakers um, and the resourcing system that supports all of these investments. Um, so, you know, this this um, there's no time to wait to. Um, um, to address the issues with regard to consenting system, I think that's that's the, the the key conclusion. Just to come back to the report where you look at the the cost of not getting there, basically. So there's some research where you've you've studied what the likely cost of emissions reduction uh, international offsets might be to the New Zealand economy. Can you explain to us? Because to me, I think this is this is quite an important counterfactual that when we're doing these trade-offs about efficiency and certainty, we need to know versus, you know, looking at more effects and more studies and more certainty that we've met all of the various um, uh, potential environmental risks and so on. We need to know what the counterfactual is if we don't get there. And I think this is something that listeners would be quite interested in is how does this shape up? What was your methodology? Are the numbers pretty solid? Or are there some kind of limits of accuracy that they need to be aware of? Um, the emissions liability that we estimated is based on the um, carbon values um, estimated by the Climate Change Commission. So those are not the prices for international carbon offsets. We don't have a market that yet sets the prices for those kind of units, let alone um, forward prices. Um, and the, in, you know, in economic terms, um, those values represent the marginal cost of abatement. So if you if you're not if you don't um, decarbonize using the um, using you know um, renewable um, generation or to electrify transport or to decarbonize to further decarbonize the electricity system, you will need to find those abatement efforts somewhere else in the economy. That's kind of and 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 that price gives you a guidance of what next what's the what's the cost of that abatement um, um, and what, in the economy. And what, and what was the number? What was what so, if we don't get there? What what are we looking at? 
Um, so in the worst case, um, when there's there is no regulatory change and no resources being added, so no no efficiency gains. Um, it's between 13 and 16 billion between now and 2050. Um, somewhere in between, it's five and eight, so about more than a half um, of that. The way the system is acting at the moment provides signals to the investor community. I think there is a, a cost in the fact that um, um, the signals of inefficiency, of delays, of frustration, that's something that puts the investment community off. So just waiting and thinking that the, uh, paying the an emissions liability through the time is actually going to get, um, get us to um, a net zero just because we can... Um, uh, just because our modeling says so, it's actually not the case. If you're putting all the visas away uh, because your regulatory and policy environment is not enabling you, then your gap is going to be much larger. Great. That, that's that been a super helpful summary. I think readers should have a read of the report, digest the findings. They're pretty useful numbers, certainly when we think about the reform efforts that are going on and policymakers are having to make these difficult trade-offs. It's really helpful. I think it's super insightful to know that this is the magnitude of change. It needs to be at least, you know, 50% faster in terms of this efficiency objective by 2028. And just knowing that there's actually 40% more stuff that needs to be consented, there's reconsenting, there's existing energy that will expire and have to be replaced. Really useful findings. Thank you so much for the work, Karina, and, and thank you for your time today. Thank you. Thank you for talking to me. Thanks for listening to Infrastructure for a Better Future.